This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thank you so much for being with us on this fine Saturday afternoon. My name is Lydia Cruz. I'm Justin Stiefel. And I'm Maura Dooley. And wow, it feels like we're just having a minute to catch up on all the summer events that have been going on in the past week. This is the first week it feels like we don't have something immediately to talk about. But I mean, Seafair last week... Uh, you had your, had Watershed. We had the Pearl Jam home shows. It's just been a busy go here. It's been a very busy couple of weeks. The Seahawks first came on Thursday night. Yeah. We saw the Mariners uh, earlier last weekend uh, break their five-game losing streak. <laughs> we uh, saw heat waves kind of run through the area, dissipate, and now we're back 90-degree days this week. And summer is full-on. And as I remind my kids, they will be back in school before this month is over. Ah, it's just, it yeah. sounds like you might be looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, a little, back, a little bit of sanity back in the household is always good. Yeah. Yeah. A little school structure. School brings structure. Yeah. That's right. Precisely. That's right. Well, in the meantime, what's going on in the headlines this week? I know the first story that we've got to tell, I almost want to put earmuffs on Mora because I think it might terrify her to death. But uh, what, yeah. what's going on in that? biggest fear in life. Yeah. Biggest fear in life is a snake Yes, Ugh. from Morrow. Yes, it is. <laughs> so uh, this came out of a uh, pub in Warwickshire over in the UK. A brewery technician went in to work on a pump, and he found a five-foot snake wrapped around it. Oh. Now, he didn't see it until he got very close. He thought it was algae and that somehow algae had gotten wrapped around the pump. So he gave it a pull. And the snake moved, uh, and as he said, I jumped out of my skin. <laughs> oh, uh. um, and then they went and uh, found the billing manager and safely removed the snake. Turns out it's a, a species called a corn snake, mm. and not venomous, but still not something you'd expect to find. Um, and so this led us to look for some other similar interesting stories, and there was one about a uh, tiger snake that was captured on camera, as it was balancing along the top of a wire uh, to get on a fence at Tasmania over on the other side of the world when people were out working the fields and they didn't expect to see the snake on the fence wire. That shocked them. There's another one in 2016. A disgruntled customer abandoned a 13-foot python at a sushi restaurant. Imagine that. Wait, that should be a felony. I hope he got charged with something. A disgruntled... (laughs) Okay. but that was 13-foot python. So it was in uh, retaliation for something? Yeah, evidently uh, didn't like the way they were being treated uh, when they were asked to leave by staff. And so they went and got a 13-foot python and Naturally. let it loose in the restaurant. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Who has them hanging around? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another one in 2013 in northern China. woman was surprised to find a snake jumped out of a bottle and bit her hand. Now, here's what's surprising is that the snake was supposedly preserved in rice wine. Oh, my God. It's like everything in my nightmares. You would assume if it's in the wine and it's been there and you open the cork, 
it's not going to jump out and bite you. So that's yeah. a very strange story. Yikes. Anyway, wow. I thought you would appreciate those. <laughs> Maura, you don't even have to watch scary movies. Just read the news sometimes. What else? Snakes is- on a plane. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what else is going on in the headline? Very cool. Archaeologists in Israel near Tel Aviv discovered a large third century workshop that made jars for wine storage. And as they were going through and studying the site, they said that this facility was making these wine jars for 600 years. Oh, my gosh. That's wow. amazing. Think about the history. This facility, 600 years working, located near Tel Aviv and uh, dated back to the 3rd century A.D. The remains they found of an estimated 100,000 jars, probably faulty jars or rejected pots from the various production processes. And uh, we'll post a couple pictures online. The shape of these are... uh, they look quite ancient, and just you know, it, it, it's amazing what you dig up if you spend enough time digging in the desert. That's for damn sure. It's also just a reminder of how much a part of culture wine has been and how historic. I mean, yeah. eighteen hundred years ago is pretty incredible, and like you like you mentioned, six hundred years worth of production. Yeah, I mean, the, our country has only been as a formalized constituted republic less than two hundred and fifty years. And so to find something that operated for 600 years way back then is, is amazing. It's just amazing. Pretty incredible. Uh, speaking yeah. of uh, speaking of wine, we have another headline uh, involving blue wine. What's this about? Blue wine, yeah. Our friends over in France, uh, you know, they like to claim the, the mantle for the quality of their wine production, and rightly so in many cases. Uh, the Telegraph here reports that uh, they have made a blue wine called Vindigo. And uh, they are teaming up with winemakers in Almeria, and they began working on a Chardonnay that gets its sea blue color from a natural pigment found in red grape skins that they have isolated. Wow. And uh, according to the author, the wine boasts aroma of cherry, blackberry, and passion fruit, and it goes well with seafood and oysters. Of course, it's a white wine, but it's actually blue. They made about 35,000 bottles of Vindigo. It's uh, for sale in French, uh, in France right now, and it's proven to be particularly popular with women. Uh, the article says that women appreciate it very much. It's an ideal wine for summer to drink on the sand or at the edge of the pool, and uh, they have mixed this with the regular white wine offerings and also the rosés, and they're making a French-flagged uh, tasting offering of red, white, and blue wines. Wow, this is awesome. interesting. And apparently, originally, they met with a little bit of resistance trying to produce it in France? Of course. Well, the French <laughs> take their wine very seriously. Very seriously. And uh, they have to be convinced that any change to the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of how they make wine uh, won't otherwise damage the rest of the French name in wine. But they persevered, and uh, now it's becoming quite popular. Well, impressive. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, we chat with Elliot Clark, the mind behind apartment bartender and earn your booze. Clark went from working his day job uh, to taking a 101 class in drink and mixology making to then quitting his job and doing apartment bartender full time. We have to hear the incredible story. It's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Right now, we are joined by Elliot Clark, multi-talented mind behind apartment bartender. You like a founder of apartment? Do you? What do you like to your official title to be? 
what's my official title? Yeah. Um, I kind of just say apartment bartender. I, I, I would say if I were to kind of assign a title, maybe creative director. Or, but yeah, it was something I founded uh, a couple years ago. I ended up getting really into making drinks at home. I took a Cocktails 101 class and with a buddy in, in Manhattan um, several years back, I'd say early 2015, and uh, kind of caught the bug and, and was making drinks at home and kind of wanted to take pictures of them to to keep a log of my recipes. Um, and it's kind of grown and, and transitioned to what it is now, and I'll kind of dive into that a little bit. But as far as what I am, I, I, I feel like I'm still very much trying to figure out what I do because it, it seems like it's kind of branching off into a lot of different aspects. I've, I've talked about this with Maura off the air before about sometimes it's about finding out what you don't want to do because you like so many different things in, in your career. So sometimes it's more just like narrowing it down like, oh, OK, that doesn't work for me. But the whole yeah, exactly the whole story behind how so you got started. Where, where, did you have a passion in the past for either like creative ventures Obviously, you took this class, and then that sort of uh, got you going down this path. But uh, before that, were you were you always interested in whether it was photography or, or artistic pursuits? So, always kind of been. I've always loved the aspect of marketing and branding and storytelling and stuff. Ever since I was young, I've kind of grew up writing and grew up. Uh, I grew up playing basketball, you know, and I, I grew up just kind of wanting to express myself in some sort of creative way. I never really envisioned it being in the form of cocktails or, or the spirits industry. But I, I do feel like I've always been inclined to the creative side of things. But as far as like photography, it was something that I picked up alongside of my love with, with uh, cocktails. At the time when I when I did it, I was working in corporate. I was working at a company and then I was working at a, a software company and I was in sales there. So it wasn't necessarily the most creative. It was a lot of what we called smiling and dialing. <laughs> it was a, a lot of cold calling and, and stuff. And so it was it was almost like I was at a point in my life where I wanted a creative outlet. And after I took that cocktails class, it was just, I don't know, I just kind of dove into it. And it was one of those things that I feel like the way a chef views food is the way I feel like a home bartender or a bartender views spirit. And so that's what kind of set me down that path of uh, the photography it was just to, again, take photos and keep a log of my recipes. Being an obsessive personality, I have a hard time just doing something and not diving into it full force. So that's how photography grew as well. I just kind of got more and more obsessed with taking better pictures. Yeah, we've talked to a lot of perfectionists on the show in the past, whether it is chefs or whether it is bartenders, because, yeah, it's about honing your craft, and that takes a lot of dedication. When did you know that you could make that full-time switch, whether, you know, if, whether it was from your day job, make the full-time switch to, to doing apartment bartender? Great question. Um, I made the, I, I knew I was going to make the leap when, um, when, so at, at my sales job, it was kind of a tumultuous time in the company. There were several layoffs that were going on. Um, people were kind of leaving the company. And at that same point in time, like my, my workload or like the amount of brands that were reaching out, um, in, at that point in time for apartment bartender, it was starting to increase. And so it was this kind of transitionary period where I wanted to kind of search for something different, but also kind of want to see what apartment bartender could be. And so with with my sales job, I was looking for something different. I had a really good month uh, in sales, and I knew financially I could kind of sustain myself for several months. And so I kind of wanted to take a little bit of a break and, and give myself 60 to 90 days to see, one, what apartment bartender could be and just kind of see what would happen if I dove into it for three months and just see 
what happened. And then as far as with corporate, I feel like it would have allowed me a little bit of time to see what was going to be next. Because like you said, you know, it's a lot of a lot of the career hunt is, you know, finding out what you don't like as much as what you do. You know, so I knew I wasn't really wanting to dive into sales uh, much more. But when I did make that decision to leave my job, it was Halloween 2016. And I remember when I walked out the doors of my job and my company, there was this sense of like, holy crap, what did I just do? And also like excitement, knowing that I was now, it was kind of up to me and and up to me to figure it out as I go, but also up to me to kind of make this something. And that was a a really liberating feeling. And I, I really believe in the power of manifestation. You know, when you say what you want and you give yourself permission to kind of speak it and and give yourself permission to voice it. I really do believe that different opportunities start to pop up and, you know, luck luck kind of meets people that are putting in the work and putting in the preparation. So I feel like that that was a big part of, of how things have transitioned to what they are now and that was a big part of my belief and, and why my friends and family kind of supported me leaving my company. You know, it was a really good sales job to pursue something that wasn't at the time what it is now. So when you first got started Obviously, you've branched out into a lot of different things now. We'll talk about a little bit here. But when you first started, was it just uh, making and posting very basic cocktail recipes? Yeah. So um, kind of starting out, I was more into the classic cocktails. You know, it was very much a learning process for me and still is. But I was posting nothing but cocktail recipes. I utilized the captions to kind of interject some of my humor and personality. But I didn't show who I was um, until probably like, almost a year into it. And so, yeah, it was just cocktail recipes. And I, I still think that is the bread and butter of what I do. You know, my, my audience is, is very much the home consumer that likes to host and, and make cocktails at home. And so, but it's, it's kind of dove into a little bit more. But yeah, that, I hope that answered your question. But yeah, I would say in the beginning, it was just basic cocktail recipes and, and things that were approachable for the, the home bartender to make at home. Looking on your site, I see that you have a lot of fun how-tos, everything from how to set up a tiki bar to how to make clear ice. <laughs> how do you decide? Do you base that on uh, trends that you see, or do people ask you for certain advice? How do you decide what you give out there? Yeah, a little bit of both. Um, I would I definitely say I'm not the end-all, be-all of like the how-to stuff. I've, sometimes I post things that I want to know the answer to. So, like for example, the clear ice, you know, if I if I am curious how to make it, I'm sure a lot of other people are, you know. And so I've always kind of taken the approach of educating and 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 wanting to kind of teach. I love I love like it's just like another passion of mine. I love kind of teaching. I love educating and making it simple. So I just kind of look for you know what do I think people would want to know and and what's fun. Um, I think with anything there are kind of foundational things to know like the classic cocktails or how to make clear ice at home or what home marketing tools you need, um, how to stock your home bar when starting out. And then I think there are like trendier stuff, you know, I travel a lot. So it's like, you know, what are the top five things in my, that I never travel without or, you know, what are my favorite whiskeys or what do I, what are my favorite cocktail bars? You know, I think people have an interest in the, the how to, but I think they also have gained an interest in, in kind of like the platform itself and, and, kind of my life and, and, and what I enjoy and, and things that I've um, kind of learned or you know, I think they want to see a little bit more of the personal side. So I try to keep it with a mix of both. 
Yeah, it's kind of the, you said storytelling, I remember at the beginning of telling stories, but at the same time, uh, helping people learn too. It's a good combination. We've been chatting here with Elliot Clark of Apartment Bartender, and there's just too much good stuff to fit into one segment. So coming up on Cast Club Radio, we'll chat with Elliot a little bit more about cocktails he's currently working on, plus an innovative new program that he's got going on that can help you earn your booze. It's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for joining us. Right now, we are chatting with Elliot Clark of Apartment Bartender. So right now, what's one of the cocktails that that you are either, it could be on your website or it could be just one that you're enjoying at home based on the time of year. What's a, what's a cocktail people should be drinking? Um, I'm a big fan of daiquiris. Um, I know it, it sounds really simple, um, and, and it's, but it's just one that I always make at home, the three-ingredient cocktail. And I like to change it up. Like I'm a big fan of rum agricole. And I'm a big fan of uh, using different rums, different age rums, or for example, like, you know, one of my favorite ones is plantation pineapple, you know, so it just interjects a little bit more flavor. But I think daiquiris is, is uh, daiquiri is my, my go-to at the moment, especially with it being summertime. And there are a lot of different really cool things you can do. You know, you could add soda water and turn it into a highball, or you can add Prosecco or, or some champagne and turn it into more of like a bubbly drink. So there's a lot of cool things that you can do with you know, a daiquiri, which is a really easy recipe. Yeah, I think rum is kind of an overlooked spirit. I think a lot of people think of really fruit punch type drinks when they think of it. But uh, the resurgence of some of these older classic cocktails like a daiquiri, I think, is, is starting to bring that back a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, rum is, not to nerd out too much, but rum is the, from what I've learned, like the most unregulated spirit in the world. You know, there's there's there are certain laws and rules, but, you know, like with whiskey, for example, like bourbon, you know, there are rules that, there are that are in place that to be able to call it a bourbon, you have to, you know, do a certain number of things. Rum is, is so different based on where it's produced or how it's produced, you know, from, you know, French Caribbean to even in the States to, you know, different islands and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a, like you said, it's a really, it's a really interesting spirit. And I think there's a, a lot to it. It's definitely one of my favorites as well. Uh, but that's what I really love about spirits in general is kind of like the backstory and and what goes into the bottle and what goes into the things that we 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 drink so you obviously have a a pretty big instagram following more and i have been like marveling at your pictures what's been the that experience for you in terms of it seems like cocktails especially are such a visual so much about visual presentation like what's how's the uh instagram or social media aspect of it helped yeah i think it's it's almost become in some sort of way, like a digital portfolio, you know, it's kind of showcased my work, showcased a lot of my personality. And, and I think, I think it's, it helps with a lot of different aspects. Like for example, a lot of the brand partnerships that I have, uh, you know, I've, I've learned that at the end of the day, brands want to work with people, right. And they want to know who they're working with because mm-hmm. on the partnership side of things, you are in a sense, an ambassador, you know, when you're working with them and you represent them, you know, whether you, are making a, a cocktail with their spirit or whether you're, whether I'm on the press trips. You know, at the end of the day, like I'm, I feel like I'm a representative in some sort. Um, and I think Instagram, my social media following, has kind of allowed brands to see who I am. I think from a photography aspect, it's, it's kind of opened up a lot of opportunities because, like you had mentioned, like my work is out there and, and I, I put as much as I can out there. So I think being able to showcase 
my ability to create high quality assets for brands or for companies and stuff. It's really helped there. And then I, I think it's, I think with uh, also, um, I know this word kind of gets thrown around in the social media world, mm-hmm. but like influence, you know, I think people, uh, I think I've formed some sort of credibility in the spirits industry, especially with the home consumer where they trust me, you know, to recommend good products or they trust me to recommend good cocktails or they trust that I'm not going to lead them astray, you know, and I really make sure that everything I'm doing is benefiting my audience in some regard, you know, or adding value. Um, I really see it as, I really see my audience as a big part of, of what I'm doing and kind of without adding value. Like I, I truly don't really see the point of it, you know, having a following. I feel like it's not so much about racking up the numbers, but really cherishing the people that choose to follow you and, and making sure that you're doing something to better them in some sort of way, whether it be through humor, through education, through a cocktail recipe, through kind of exposing them to the world of spirits. Well, that's pretty cool. Then I was going to say, for doing this only full time, less than two years, right? It's impressive how how much you've branched out or how many things you've added to this. Earn Your Booze is something uh, cool that you're doing. Can you explain that? Yeah, definitely. So Earn Your Booze was something that I started uh, and I have a business partner named Justin and we, we, we co-founded it, but we were, Justin was more on the beer side. I was on the spirits and cocktail side. Yeah, so Gurney Booze was something I started with Justin. Um, and I was saying that he was, Justin was really big in the beer community and continues to be. Me being more on the spirit side, you know, we kind of recognize that there is an unhealthy side to the industry and there's an unhealthy side to drinking, you know, if, and it will consume you if you let it. And so it was, at first it was kind of a fun concept. We were just, you know, I was saying, earn your booze every time I go to the gym. I post about it. But then people started catching on to it and saying it. And then people asked me if I had shirts or if I was going to do anything with it. Um, so me and Justin decided to kind of make shirts. And that's in the beginning kind of what it was going to be. But it really started to take on a life of its own. And we saw that there is a huge gap in, in the spirits industry and even in the, the world of beer or wine or whatnot, you know, where, you know, a lot of brands are, are – implementing health initiatives to really promote like the aspect of drinking responsibly and which doesn't necessarily just apply to, you know, not drinking and driving. It's like, really, if you're going to indulge in the spirit, if you're going to enjoy it, make sure that you're doing what you need to do to take care of your health and your body. So earn your booze is a brand that we, we started to kind of bridge the gap between the world of fitness and the world of, of drinking. Um, and so we put on different events. We always partner with different spirits brands or, or different uh, breweries or local local spots. And we partner with uh, different fitness partners and we put on these events where people come and they work out and they drink. And so we've, we've done, we've done about 10 or 15 now. We just had our first one on the road. We went to Miami and did one. Um, we have future plans for um, hitting other cities and really growing it and expanding it. Uh, so it's a really fun concept. And I think people, it's a simple concept for people to grab hold of. Yeah, it's one that maybe people wouldn't traditionally put together, but I think that's why it makes it so brilliant because people are are looking to to get healthier and and still enjoy life at the same time. So those two go well hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely been a part of some 5K running groups. Yes, where you go to a bar and have a beer after. after. You've got to have some balance if you're if you're going to have that yeah, kind of dedication to your workout. You got to have a reward. You deserve it. Yeah. You got to have balance. Well, awesome, Elliot. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Where can people check out more of what all the amazing things you're doing, whether online or Instagram, et cetera? 
Yeah. Um, so uh, on Instagram, I'm at Apartment Bartender. Website is ApartmentBartender.com. Um, Earn Your Booze is EarnYourBooze.com. And then also on Instagram, same thing, Earn Your Booze. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm mainly on social media. That's kind of my primary platform. So they can check me out there and kind of see all the all the fresh shenanigans I get myself into. <laughs> Perfect. And if you ever are in Seattle for one of these uh, Earn Your Booze events, you're going to have to let us know so we can take part. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely wouldn't, wouldn't come to Seattle without letting you know. All right. Thank you so much, Elliot. Thank you, guys. That was Elliot Clark of Apartment Bartender, generously taking some time to chat with us. And Maura, we've talked about this a little bit. That's not the first blogger, first uh, drink, beverage, a mixologist blogger that we've talked to on the show, The Drunken Tomato, in the past we, we've had a chat with, and it's yeah, interesting. Shelly from there. Yes. It's interesting how uh, a passion can turn into a full-time job now, and you heard it from Elliot, too, where it's he just took a 101 mixology class and now has spurned into this whole passion pursuit project online and that, in general, drinks uh, have become accessible in that way. Yeah, and it's interesting to see how social media plays into that. Yes. Like people can really build a brand. They, I mean, they all, we talked to Elliot about branching out into photography because all of these Instagram pages are wor- like works of art. <laughs> yes. I mean, and, and luckily for him, photography is also a passion of his because, it, like you said, it's just from an aesthetics point of view. You, me, and Justin have discussed how that experience changes, whether whether you're it's a, a label or a bottle or of a branding of a product or whether it's an experience when you go to a bar and how they uh, keep their music, their lighting, their temperature. But it's also true like at these off these blogs and these websites is how they curate their image and their brand uh, is really neat and interesting. Yeah, and I think there's something to be said for I feel like in the past, the cocktail world and and looking at some of these more exotic looking ones that you see on his Instagram, that would intimidate people. But knowing that he was just like us, just had an interest in cocktails and took a 101 class makes it more approachable for people that are maybe looking to experiment a little. Yes, because I'll I will readily admit that I'm one of those people where I don't branch out enough. I'm like a little scared to get creative, especially because sometimes in drink making, either the ingredients can can add up and be expensive, whether it's you have to go get a very specific type of liqueur or uh, like garnishes even sometimes are intimidating. But you're right. He he breaks down the process and makes it seem very, whether it's simple ingredients or uh, actual making it or putting it together, that it's accessible, which I really appreciate. Me too. Yeah. Well, if you haven't already, uh, you can fall in love with Elliot's work at apartmentbartender.com, also on Instagram, which you should follow, and also Earn Your Booze is taking off, so make sure you check that out. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, well, we've got another cocktail recipe for you, but also Justin's going to give us a little information on how the beer world could be changing on a fundamental level and how regulating that could be complicated to say the least. That's next on Cast Club Radio. Back to Cast Club Radio. In just a couple minutes, we've got a brand new cocktail recipe for you that we're going to share for you. You can make on these summer weekends. But first, we have to talk about a, another news topic. We've sort of mentioned this in the past and talked about the evolution of this. But, uh, Justin, what's going on with the cannabis slash uh, beer, wine, and spirits industry? Big, big news in cannabis. Uh, just last week, the wholesalers 
Association for Alcohol came out in support of a federal and state-driven regulatory regime for cannabis across the U.S. Now, why is that a big deal? It's because these wholesalers who are the distributors for beer, wine, and spirits in all 50 states in some respect or another uh, have been worried for quite a while about what the impact of cannabis would be on their bread and butter business, selling beer, wine, and spirits. They have finally come out and said, we think cannabis is going to be legit as a business, but we want it to be regulated like alcohol, which means we think it should go through a similar three-tier system where producers have to sell it to wholesalers, distributors, who then sell it to the retail trade. So they are now beginning to stake out their position of what their involvement should be just like it is in alcohol. And they're going to ask regulators at the state and federal level to begin to legislate that. So that's that's the first main thing that came out of it. Second is all of this movement in the last several weeks being announced, driving cannabis into specific alcohol alternatives, uh, the, the most recent being beer. Uh, cannabis is being used now as the alternative to the alcohol in beer. In other words, beer makers at even the small micro local level are beginning to experiment with making cannabis infused beer that has no alcohol and the punch really comes from the drug associated with the cannabis hmm. not with consuming alcohol interesting yeah so what does this mean it means that instead of going and getting your typical weeded beer like a blue moon you're going to swap it out for a beer that has some of the uh, cannabis in it um, now that leads to another issue <laughs> Drinking and driving. We all know shouldn't drink and drive. When you get pulled over, you've got the breathalyzer, and in, here in Washington, it's 0 .08 is the blood alcohol level. So this week, it was announced that uh, some scientists developed what they think is the equivalent of the breathalyzer for marijuana. But now the question is, what is too stoned to drive? I was wondering they that. They haven't if settled on that yet. If you're going to have these cannabis-laced beers, is there some kind mm -hmm. of way to monitor that? That's interesting. And with a product that's still like state by state, whether it's legalized or not, uh, or the level of legalization, medical or not, that also causes a whole other area of how do you regulate that? Is it state by state basis? That's really intriguing. It's amazing. And uh, if you're going to eat the type of product you're eating, it might take an hour for it to kick in. If it's in one of these drinks, the cannabis is in the drink, it's infused, it might take 15 to 20 minutes to kick in. And it might last as long as three hours, uh, as opposed to, you know, drinking several beers or a couple glasses of wine and, and having to hit you. The legal outcome for the first people who get, get pulled over and they have the equivalent of the breathalyzer for marijuana, and then they get hit with the DUI, and then they go to jail, and they go to court, there will be several battles associated in court over whether the test is legitimate, mm -hmm. the science behind it, how much is impaired to really not be driving, yeah. and so on and so forth. And it's it's years in the making. We're not going to have a, a uh, uh, black and white decision anytime soon. I was going to ask you, when do you think that, it seems like there's a lot to work out here, when do you think there will actually be a storefront where you can walk in and buy a cannabis lace beer? Well, that's a good question. Here in Washington, as an example, they're going to have to uh, get the legislature to work with the Liquor and Cannabis Board to actually allow those types of products to be sold. Right now, you can go in and get all sorts of uh, edibles and 
candies and that kind of thing. I haven't seen a, an actual product delivered that has a cannabis in it. It would not be allowed to be made by a licensed brewery right now because the feds won't recognize that. and You don't want to have that in your physical brewery uh, permitted license space. Uh, so they're going to have to set up a separate regime for that. Um, I think it's at least 24 months away from seeing a legit set of products on the shelf like that. Just because of the regulatory process. We don't have a session right now in Olympia. The next legislature gets sworn in in January. That session will run until June of 2019. If they pass something that allows more liquid consumed cannabis products, uh, you're going to see at least six to 18 months of rulemaking process go Mm -hmm. through the uh, Liquor and Cannabis Board. And then it's going to be confined only to those cannabis retailers. You're not going to be able to go to Costco or Safeway or Albertsons or your corner C-store to pick up a can of uh, cannabis-laden beer substitute. Yeah, and I mean, the, the process itself, once it is, I mean, if these products are available, you mentioned earlier that they could kick in as early as 15 minutes, but also last for a lot longer. So that'll be interesting to watch as well because... People already have trouble learning their limits with something is, you know, something like alcohol. Um, so yeah. adding so adding this to the mix could also cause its fair share of problems. Oh, for sure. And uh, we talked earlier in the year about the dosages. Uh, there are people who are putting these um, liquid packages together of some kind of drink. And the one drink that what we might think of as a single size beer or a bottle of wine actually has enough doses in it for five, seven, ten servings of the cannabis. Ooh. And will consumers get used to moderating and metering their consumption so they're not overdosing based on how large the container is? Well, it's fascinating. And we'll uh, make sure to follow along with all the updates uh, that we see here in the headlines. In the meantime, so until you can buy your THC-infused uh, beer, wine, and spirits, what's one cocktail that people can make this weekend? Well, we're going to take advantage of uh, the trade war that has been thrust upon us between uh, the White House and China. Uh, Cranberry prices are crashing all across the Northwest. Cranberries are grown only in the Northwest and in Canada. Uh, That's the entire worldwide crop. And prices are now down below their production costs. So that means uh, cranberries are going to be cheap here pretty soon. So we've come up with a BSB cran using our BSB brown sugar bourbon. Uh, two ounces of BSB brown sugar bourbon, two ounces of cranberry juice, and two ounces of club soda or Sprite. Pretty easy, two, two, and two. Mix all three in a glass with or without ice. It's your choice. And uh, garnish with a lemon and uh, some sliced strawberries. And it's a beautiful drink. The color is red, and the flavor of the BSB offsetting the tartness of the cranberry juice um, with the effervescence of the soda. It's just a great summertime drink. Well, and perfect because, yeah, it's something uh, people can get also, like you said, locally sourced and take advantage of uh, some low prices as well. Yeah, go for it. Well, you can check out that recipe online as always at heritagedistilling.com where you can also check out uh, links to these news stories and catch up on past episodes of Cast Club Radio if you'd like. You can also go to CairoRadio.com, click on the podcast tab with the Cast Club Radio logo, and that's where you'll find us. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Uh, you'll find us on Instagram and Facebook at Cask Club Radio. And you can also email us at caskclubradio at heritagedistilling.com. We've been getting some great questions and uh, people sending us uh, images and uh, going more to social media. And we appreciate the feedback. 
And uh, other words, enjoy the rest of the summer safely. Absolutely. We'll catch you next week on Cast Club Radio. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling, part of Cairo Weekends on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM.